One of the most beloved Bible stories in the Old Testament uh, that children love to hear is the story of David and Goliath. It's not only children who love this story, but adults do so as well. It's a remarkable story. A story of a great reversal. The one considered with no chances of winning, humanly speaking, does win a great victory. Yet the story of David and Goliath has been taught in very distorted ways. It has been used as a lesson of courage or as a lesson of how to face your giants or how to face insurmountable obstacles. Such a message can be very inspiring, especially in days like ours these days during the pandemic. But is this the emphasis of the story of David and Goliath? Certainly David shows great and incredible courage. But a lot more is going on in this story. And if we miss the details of this story, we miss the emphasis of the narrative and distort its message for us today. We must remember that the story of David and Goliath is part of the message of the book of 1 Samuel. And the book of Samuel tells the story of the journey from the chaos of self-rule to the king after God's own heart. Up to this point in the book, the first king of Israel, even though he was a king that the Lord has provided for his people, the king chose to do what his own heart decided. And we're back to square one. From the chaos of self-rule. And the one on the throne is ruling, not no longer according to the word of God, he's ruling according to what he thinks is best, according to what he hears people wanting from him more, more than what the Lord wants from him. Last week we saw how God anointed a new king for his people, but his anointing was veiled. The world does not yet know about the the new king that God planned to bring to replace King Saul. The world did not get to hear and know yet about the anointing of King David. The rejected king is still on the throne. He's still the official head of the armies of Israel. And now another military threat arises for God's people. But through this military threat, God reveals which king is truly acting out his role. The official public king or the veiled anointed king. Uh, the story that we will look at this morning, the, the events in the history of God's people, ask one question, who can win for God's people? Who can win for God's people? Would you open God's word to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17? The book of 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll be reading the entire chapter. As, as you open your Bibles there, I want to say a big thank you to Gloria Hoover. Last time when we were out here in those cold uh, and fiery winds, uh, Gloria thought of a book weight. So she bought me one so that I can put it on the Bible and the pages will not move. And then uh, Kathy Laugh thought of these plastic things that I could put my notes so that my notes will not fly. Thank you, Kathy. Hopefully we'll have an easy time with reading God's word and, and, and hearing God's message this morning. Let's hear the word of God this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah, in Ephesh Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. 
The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was a son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to, his, to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they, all, and, they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and tools and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has spoken up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me 
I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, put a helmet of bronze on his head, and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the book, from the brook, and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you in my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the, the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. And he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him with and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that the champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on their way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Asking God to bless our hearts as we hear and to bless the preaching of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, your word is powerful. And this morning we pray and ask that by your spirit, you would use your word to encounter us to meet us, to challenge us, to equip us, to comfort us, to edify us. We pray all this, Father, in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor, we pray. 
Amen. If this story is only about the fight between David and Goliath, then surely this author became very long-winded in telling this story. But is it possible that what appears to be a very long-winded story with many details in developing the characters of the story and the ups and downs of the plot are actually important parts of understanding what the story is really about? Is it possible that the ups and downs of this plot actually tell a different message than simply the courage of David? Is it possible that all the details leading up to the actual battle between David and Goliath are purposeful? No battle in the entire Old Testament has so much speech given by the characters of the story. What these characters are saying here provides a rich biblical picture of what is truly at stake in this battle and what truly is at stake in the life of the people of God. What is truly at stake in the life of the king that God desired for his people. Now this unfolding of this narrative has two subplots that drive home the overall message of this chapter. These two subplots provide the structure of this message this morning. And here they are. The first subplot, can someone fight for God's people? Can someone fight for God's people? The second subplot, how can David win for God's people? How can David win for God's people? These are the two parts of this long-winded narrative of a battle between David and Goliath that takes like two verses, and yet the story takes 58 verses to tell it. Let's understand what this story is really about. Can someone fight for God's people? This is the first point. Uh, a new threat from the Philistines is described in the setting of the story. We see this setting in the first 11 verses of the chapter. The spotlight of the setting is not the size of the Philistine army, but the size of a Philistine champion. From verse 4 to verse 10, the author describes Goliath in very vivid pictures. We hear the details about his size and about his armor. Now, if we were to translate these measurements into our day-to-day, -day, we are dealing here with a man who is about 9 feet 6 inches tall. He's not only tall, but he's strong. He's so strong that the weight of his armor translated today uh, would be the equivalent of about 125 pounds. Imagine what kind of muscles he had to have to be able to carry in battle 125 pounds of armor. And his whole uh, body was covered with the armor. Uh, the fact that we have such a detailed description of God's of, uh, of Goliath's uh, height and his armor is intended to bring us, the reader, into the feelings of the story. Goliath's appearance is incredibly intimidating. Now, the author could have told us that Goliath was intimidating, but he wants to show us that so that we get the feeling of that intimidation. Now, why this focus on the appearance of Goliath? Not only to, to get us to feel the intimidation, but there's a contrast with the lesson that happened in chapter 16. Remember when Samuel was in Jesse's house, veiled under the desire to identify the next king, and, and God has to teach Samuel himself a lesson now remember the lesson that taught that the Lord taught Samuel? In chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord told Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his, stat of his stature. Here we see that same lesson lingering on in chapter 17. 
if we look at Goliath's appearance or the height or at his armor, we walk away intimidated. And the echo of chapter 16 stays with us in chapter 17. Do not look at his appearance. And the author says, here's what Israel looked at. Here's what Saul's army was looking at. Here's where Saul was looking at. But Goliath's armor is not the worst part of him. Goliath is not just going to be one of the soldiers in the Philistine army. He wants to be the only fighter. He wants to engage in a representative combat. In verses 8 through 10 of the setting, Goliath asks for one representative of Israel's army to fight against Goliath on behalf of God's people. Such uh, representative combats were not unheard of in the ancient world, but it's the first one we see in the entire Old Testament. Goliath's introduction uh, closes with this challenge that someone, only one, would come out to face him, to battle instead uh, or on behalf of the people of God. And Goliath's introduction closes with these words in verse 10, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Goliath is not only a tall, he's not only strong and armored over the top, but he's also proud, bringing insults against God's people. He's so self-confident that he thinks he surely can bring victory for the Philistines. If we miss this setting, we miss an important part of, of the emphasis of the story. Goliath is defying the ranks of Israel's army, asking and challenging them, can someone fight him on behalf of God's people? No other battle in the entire Old Testament has this feature. We must remember that. The setting of the story closes with a window in the hearts, into the hearts of Israel's king and his army. How did Saul and the army feel about Goliath when they saw him and heard him? Look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And we might say, rightly so. I mean, who could face such a giant who could face such a threat alone the army doesn't even have a chance to battle against the philistines so at least it's a team effort no who can face such a such an enemy alone it's on the backdrop of such a gloomy and hopeless situation that the author introduces us it introduces to us a new character on the stage and it feels like we've never learned of David. You might say, why is David getting this introduction of his lineage when it was, we were told that in chapter 16. Here, listen to how this, the author introduces David in verse 12. Now David was a son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse who had eight sons. And then verse 14, David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. If the presentation of Goliath focused on his height and armor, the presentation of David focused on his lineage. Being the son of Jesse, and not just any of his sons, but the youngest, the one entrusted with the care of sheep and with bringing provisions to his brothers on the battlefield, and on one of those trips for taking provisions to the battlefield, David learns about the threat of Goliath. But he also learns about the king's reward to anyone who dared to fight this Philistine. We read of this reward in verses 24 to 27. Now why does the author focus on the reward? The reward shows that Saul has decided that he will not be the one fighting the Philistine. Goliath and Saul had come, have, have some common features. When both of these characters are introduced in the book of 1 Samuel, one of the first things that were noted about them both was that they both distinguished themselves by their height. 
if anyone had a closer match, uh, a chance to, to face Goliath, physically speaking, it was King Saul. Plus, at this stage in the story, in the book, he's the king. He was entrusted to lead God's people in battle. But instead of representing the people in battle, instead of fighting Goliath, Saul puts forth an incredibly generous reward for someone else to face Goliath. The detour of describing the reward offered by Saul is really an indictment on Saul's leadership. He backs out. He will not be the one fighting as a representative of God's people. He will provide incentives for someone else to come up. The presence of the king's reward emphasizes the question that was now lingering in the hearts of the Israelite soldiers. Here's the reward. Is there someone who can fight for God's people? That's the question they're asking. Can someone fight for God's people? When David learns about Goliath, he becomes interested to do something. But when David shows interest in coming forward to fight God's, uh, for God's people, he encounters two obstacles. The first obstacle is Eliab, his own brother. When Eliab hears about David's interest in Goliath's threat, Eliab unloads on David, questioning his worthiness to even be on the battlefield and accuses him of false motives while he's there. Look at verse 28. Then Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I wonder if you see the demeaning tone that Eliab has towards his younger brother. With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Now remember Eliab from chapter 16? He was not only Jesse's oldest son, but he was the tall one. And the Lord did not choose him to be king, to be the next king for Israel. And now perhaps we understand why. Here's how Eliab's, uh, here's how Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, is responding. He belittles David and accuses him of, of evil motives. Friends, it does not take much effort to accuse others of evil motives. Be cautious of not assuming too quickly that you know what is going on in someone's heart. Be cautious of not becoming an expert in knowing what is wrong with other people. Some even among God's people today seem to be searching and exercising their so-called gift of spiritual discerning the hearts of others. Eliab is quick to do that. And he's doing it with David. Friends, be cautious of the spirit of Eliab being in our own hearts. David let Eliab's comments fall to the wayside. I, I love how David here was not interested to start a fight with Eliab. It was not Eliab who was the enemy, but Goliath. How often we might be tempted to turn our brothers and sisters into enemies just because they look down on us and bring us unfounded accusations. I love how David lets go of Eliab's comment and keeps his eyes laser-focused on the real enemy, which was not his brother. David encounters, though, a second obstacle, not only Eliab, but Saul. Saul hears the words of David and, and calls for David to appear before him. But notice Saul's initial assessment of David. In verse 33, Saul says, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. It's helpful to read Saul's impressions of David. To the human eyes, David failed to pass, pass a test of being fitted for this battle. And this is what the author wants to emphasize. According to human standards, David is too green. We might say he's unexperienced. He has not even been enrolled in Saul's army. How can he face such an enemy? Can someone fight for God's people? David says, yes, 
here I am. But both Eliab and Saul say, no, David, you can't. You're not fit for this giant. You're just a youth. David's response to King Saul is telling. David speaks not only of his experiences with the wild beasts, but David is confident that this Philistine will be like the wild beasts. And this is an important part in David's logic. Notice what fueled David's confidence. He says in verse 36, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. And I want to say, David, how do you know? How do you know that this Philistine will be like one of them? Listen to David's reason. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Why will this, this Philistine be like the wild animals that David defeated in the past? Because the armies that the Philistine defied are the armies of the living God. David shows us why he has a different perspective than Saul or his army. It is David's view of God as the living God. Goliath insulted not just any army, but the army of the God who is alive. The God who is living. The, the living God hears insults. The living God sees when people boast and are prideful. The living God knows what His people need. Friends, I wonder if the living God makes a difference in how you view your life or even the challenges that you face and the solutions you seek to your problems. Is there a living God perspective to the way you look at your circumstances? As the living God, the Lord is going to provide a representative warrior for his people to fight Goliath. But the warrior, the representative warrior that the living God puts forth is someone no one deems adequate. It is a youth or the young shepherd boy, David. Oh friends, the living God works through what is perceived as weakness so that his power would truly be seen as the power of the living God. I wonder if sometimes we don't see God's solutions adequate because just like Saul or Eliab, we too are evaluating things based on physical appearance and what strikes our eyes as well. Can someone fight for God's people? The answer is yes, David, the son of Jesse. But he's ridiculed and he's put down by his own brother and he's disconsidered by the king and considered to be unfit and unprepared. Friends, David's role here foreshadows the role of another king, King Jesus. How often we too might misjudge Jesus as being irrelevant for our circumstances, unfit for the, for the real challenges. How often we too are unwilling to rely on King Jesus. Or if we do, it's often an afterthought or after much convincing, just like David had to convince Saul. After further insisting, David, um, as Saul finally concedes to let David fight Goliath. And this brings us to the second subplot of the story, which is point number two, if you like taking notes. If the first point was, can someone fight for God's people? The second point is, can David win for God's people? Or how can David win for God's people? Once Saul concedes to let David go and fight Goliath, Saul offers David his armor for protection. How can David win for God's people? Here's a temptation from Saul. Now Saul is well intended. His motivations were really good motivations, humanly speaking. He just lacked the perspective of the living God. Friends, you can be well intended. You can have all the good motivations you want. But if you miss the perspective of the living God, your solutions, your desires, your offers may actually be a temptation, may be leading in the wrong direction. After hearing of the heavy armor that Goliath had, it seemed right for Saul to offer David some help to be protected in the battle. 
to try to match Goliath's level of armor. But David refuses to take the armor. It simply did not fit him. So David goes into the battle with a staff, a sling, and five stones. Wow, how could we win? How could he win? As David goes out to the battlefield alone and with no armor, uh, before the battle ever begins, the author tells us of another confrontation. Not with stones or spears, but a confrontation of words between Goliath and David. It's a confrontation about the truth of what this battle is really about. When David shows up to the battle line, Goliath disdained him. He's not the first one in the story. Eliab did it first. Saul did it second. Goliath is now the third. What does it mean to disdain? Goliath considered David to be unworthy of his consideration in the battle. Look at verse 42. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Do you hear the echoes of Eliab and Saul in, 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 in Goliath's tone here? Same reason why Eliab cri criticized David. Same reason why Saul didn't want to let David fight. Given such an unfit match, Goliath is certain he will give David's body to be eaten by the wild beasts. But notice David's reply to Goliath. In this speech, David reveals a secret of his victory. How can David win for God's people? Three reasons. And these reasons are given before the first stone is ever thrown. Three reasons how David can win against Goliath. Reason number one, the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. Notice David's weapon. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now David makes it clear that the weapons of this battle are on one side, a sword, spear, and javelin, and on the other side, the name of the Lord. Now physically speaking, David's weapons were a sling and a stone. But David's not putting his confidence on his stones or in his sling. The contrast of weapons is between a sword, spear, and javelin on one side, and the name of the Lord on the other side. And the question is, which one is stronger? Let me ask you, which one would you rather have in your arsenal? Which one would you rather fight with? For David, the name of the Lord is so strong that he's not thinking about his sling or the stone as his weapons for the fight. Nor is he worried about not having a sword or a spear or a javelin. David, with the name of the Lord as his weapon, feels that he's more equipped, more armored than this Goliath. Yes, he uses a sling and a stone. Yes, he doesn't have the armor he doesn't have a sword, but he knows that his physical tools are not what wins this battle. David is confident that what wins the battle is the Lord in whose name David is advancing against Goliath. And we see this in verse 46. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And David repeats this truth again in verse 47. David says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Now, this battle between David and Goliath is often labeled the battle between David and Goliath. But from these verses, David actually wants to teach us that the battle is not between him and Goliath, but between the Lord and Goliath. David is coming to this battle in the name of the Lord. This is the Lord's battle. 
if this was merely David's battle against Goliath, I can imagine how conference speakers would begin offering talks on how to use a sling to overcome your giants. <laughs> You're laughing. I've heard sermons of the five stones of how to overcome your giant. This is not about stones overcoming giants. And these are evangelical preachers preaching from this story. This has is, this is totally missed the point of the text. David says, this is the Lord's battle. This is not about a sling or stones. David would have none of that. This battle is not David's battle. This battle is the Lord's. And David makes that very clear. He says, for the battle is the Lord's. If there's something we learn from David at this moment is to stop thinking that our battles are about us or about our life or about our well-being or about our reputation or about alleviating our suffering. David orients our attention away from himself, away even from Goliath and draws our focus to the Lord. It is the Lord who must fight this Goliath if David is going to have any victory. But a second reason how David can win against Goliath, second reason is there's a God in Israel. There's a God in Israel. Look at what David tells Goliath in verses 46 and 47. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Goliath defined the army of the living God, the army of Israel, because he thought no one is stronger than him. But David reminds Goliath that even if the army of Israel is fearful and, and timid against an intimidating Philistine champion, what Goliath forgot is that there is a God in the midst of such a fearful and timid army. David is not coming to face Goliath because he received encouragements from the army. <laughs> he received only criticism so far from his brother, one of the soldiers, and from the king himself who told him, you're not fit for this. But David fights Goliath with a background of a fearful and timid army because he believes there's a God in Israel. And through this battle, all the earth will get to know there is a living God in the midst of a fearful army. More important than the presence of a Philistine champion who is so intimidating that he, he, he makes the entire army be fearful and afraid. More important than the, the presence of a Philistine champion is the presence of a living God with his people. Friends, we may feel intimidated by the presence of enemies around us. We may feel intimidated by the insurmountable situations around us, but David wants us to learn this lesson from this battle. There's a living God among his people, and that changes everything about how we see our circumstances. And the third reason why David is able to fight the Goliath and win, notice the third reason, because of how the Lord saves because of how the Lord saves. Notice the third secret in verse 47, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. This is David's third confidence. God saves and redeems not by human weapons. He does not need a sword or a spear. Now in Saul's time, there were only two people in the entire Israelite army who owned a sword in Israel. It was Saul and Jonathan. But David says the Lord does not need the advanced war equipment to win battles. Now how would this translate for us today? We might say the Lord wins battles without finances. We might say the Lord wins battles without the political arsenal. The Lord wins battles without the numbers. Without the reports, the Lord wins battles without human strength or strategy. 
I wonder what it is for you that you would want to put in the blanks. The Lord wins battles without what? That you particularly revere or fear or put confidence in. Once David's reasons are stated explicitly, these are the three reasons David stated explicitly. Once his secret for facing Goliath is declared, finally the battle can begin. Now friends, all this, all this, the author has taken pains to take us slowly through to finally get to the place of the battle. Look at verses 48 through 50. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hang, hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank in his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in, in the hand of David. The Lord truly delivered Goliath into David's hand without David having a sword in his hand. It proves that the Lord can win battles without the perceived military equipment needed, without the perceived advantages of the enemy, without the perceived strength of the enemy. But David does not stop here. He carries out a symbolic act. We are told in verse 51 that David ran and stood over the Philistine took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Why this detail? This is not the first time a Philistine had its head cut off in the book of 1 Samuel. Remember when the ark of God was taken into the Philistine territory and there it was taken into Dagon's temple, the Philistine god? The Lord caused the statue of Dagon to fall down and break its neck. In this chapter, the Philistine champion, Goliath, ends up having the same destiny as the Philistine god, Dagon. The Lord knows how to show his power over the Philistines. And he did it this time through a shepherd boy from the house of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. This is how the story uh, of David and Goliath ends by closing at the same place where it started, after introducing Goliath to us and his impressive appearance, remember how the narrator brought on the stage of the story the profile of David and told us about his lineage. And here, at the end of the story, the story ends again on this moment of the lineage of David. Who is the one who would come forth to fight for God's people? And when on their behalf, who is the one who would do so? It's the one, the man who was raised in the, in the house of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, the one who was ignored, the one who was ridiculed, the one who was falsely accused, the one who was considered unfit for the job. If this story is about David, it's because David is the one the Lord raised up from the tending of his father's sheep. The Lord raised David and taught him during his shepherd experiences that the one who delivers is the Lord. What academy, may I ask you, what academy or seminary did David attend to learn the lesson that the one who delivers is the Lord? Tending sheep. Tending sheep was the context that the Lord taught David that he is sufficient to deliver. It is based on the lesson that David learned while tending sheep. With that lesson, the, the David came before Goliath and faced him. And the battle between David and Goliath is simply a display of the lesson that the, the Lord showed and taught David while tending sheep. It is the Lord who delivers. Who needed to hear that lesson? Saul did. Who needed to hear that lesson? Saul's army needed to hear it. Who needed to hear that lesson? We need to hear it. It's the Lord who delivers. Oh, dear friends, the application for us is not how can we be more like David. In the story, we the people play the role of the army. 
We the people need someone else to fight in our place. Saul the king who had rebelled against God's word failed because the one who would deliver, because he failed to be the one who would deliver God's people. He was not equipped to do that because he failed to trust in the Lord. He failed to listen to the Lord. He failed to look to the Lord. But God provided for himself another means, a young lad who showed the signs of human weakness, of human inadequacy, of human unfittedness. But the one thing this young lad knew well is that the Lord delivers. In this story, David portrays the the role that Jesus was sent to have in the unfolding of God's salvation story. Jesus was misjudged by his own brothers. He was ridiculed and falsely accused by the religious leaders of God's people. And he went to face a greater enemy than Goliath. He went to face an enemy that that we could never overcome. Sin and death. Jesus went to face the enemy knowing that his father alone would deliver him from these enemies. And as Jesus took upon himself our sin and its guilt... As Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God against sin, Jesus willingly went to die on a cross, being confident that even from the clutches of death, the Lord is sufficient to deliver him. And the Lord did deliver Jesus from the clutches of death. And the evidence of that is God rose Jesus from the dead. Friends, the story of David and Goliath is a story of the battle that God has chosen to fight for his people. If you and I get stuck on this battle as being only between David and Goliath, you miss out big time. This question for us is not, can you be like David? The question is, are you willing to trust in David's God and partake of the victory that that God has worked through David's descendant, Jesus Do you want to trust in the victory that God has won for us? Saul will remain physically on the throne of Israel, but he is a shepherd boy who proved to be God's instrument to bring deliverance for God's people. Who can win for God's people? The answer is the Lord can. And he did it by raising a shepherd boy who was fully confident in God's ability to deliver him from the clutches of his enemy. A shepherd boy who willingly offered to fight for God's people. And through his confidence in God's ability to save, David went forth to face the enemy knowing that God needed none of the worldly weapons. That God was sufficient to win on our behalf. Friends, what about you and I? Are you willing to trust him with your life, with your circumstances, with your fears, with your hopes, with your eternity? Let's pray.